What's going on, everybody? This is MetaChomp. Hey, Alex Moncashi. Hey, Mike Moncashi. How you doing? Pretty good, man. How are you doing? I am doing fabulous. You guys, welcome back to another episode of MetaChomp. This is the place where we're going to be talking about movies, trends in movies, maybe sprinkle in some video game stuff here and there as well. Mm-hmm. What do we got on the docket today, Al? Nothing. Oh, Thanks so much for listening, everybody. Be sure to follow us on Friendster. Catch Snap, us on Classmates. Snapchat. <laughs> Snap it. <laughs> classmates. I, I forgot about Classmates. Catch us, yeah, catch us on Classmates. Oh, man. Um, those pop-ups were and also, wonderful. And also, uh, hit us up on that Farmers Only. Oh. Because as we all know... City folk just don't get it. They just don't get Mm-mm. it. Anyway, today we're going to be talking about some pretty interesting stuff. Yeah. Um, and uh, to start off, Villains. Love them, hate them. Some might say that we are both our own villains in our deepest, we just darkest. Need a, we need a mirror. We need a mirror. We a, do. A dark or a black mirror. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Ed Zachary. Ed Zachary. You know, his his ears must be a ringing. Right um, but yeah, villains. Villains, I think that whole, this whole idea of, of having... An antagonist. I know that whole thing has been challenged over the years, and in film, you know, there was the the um, black-headed cowboys, right? That was like how they could tell the black hats, you know, that was sort of you know their way of being evil and and you know uh, maniacal in in their pursuit of the protagonist. But I never I feel, realized that because uh, what well, Westworld, you know, you have that the black. Yeah, well, that's just that's classic classic western trope, mm-hmm. and I think that's. I don't know. I feel like I would love to think that we've progressed in developing cinematic language to the point where we don't need to have such an obvious thing. But no, you go to any movie, a lot of movies nowadays, and yes, the villain is still often immaculately you know, dressed. Yeah. They're usually dark. They're usually, you know, they usually have... Um, <laughs> Their, their dark clothes. Uh, they're, um, <laughs> they're usually like, you know, in shadow, you know, or they're, you know, it's like they're still... I feel like villains are still too on the nose. Yeah. Too many, too many enemies. You know, too many people who are just—they might have an, an agenda. They're just so, you know, they're still so cookie cutter. Well, they're pretty, for the most part. They're pretty single tracked. A lot of them, yeah. too. And in the end, what their goal is is maybe they're trying to destroy the world or take it over. But the end game almost never makes sense for the rest of us like what's your real goal like, also, after you take over the world what what happens then that's probably another thing too as well is that when like even you have Alex, like, I'm like, asking you what happens then you sit in a secluded area on a private ranch in the middle of Montana and you just watch your you know watch the sunset and rise you drink some coffee you have an old dog a trusty old yeah, you, you, retriever. You can't, you can't trust young dogs. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. Only so, old, old dogs. So basically, the the end game is to live life as a Folgers commercial. Exactly. Well, I can I can get behind that. You know, it's I mean it it, it, it sells itself. Okay, it does. It's, it's the American dream. It it is. But I think you know. But then you have like people like they're, they're your protagonists, your heroes. Uh, then they have your um you know your friends of the heroes, and oftentimes we're conditioned to believe that if uh, a friend or a supposed friend of a hero is overly nice and smiles a lot they might be hiding something they right. might be a little bit fishy why are they so nice why are they doing everything for me mm-hmm. and then that in itself yet again is like you can't be too evil you can't be too nice it's yeah. like can we just have i would like to have just more morally ambiguous 
characters that are complex. Yes, yeah. Like uh, Shaun of the Dead. I think that's a good example of a protagonist who's actually the guy who would normally not even be uh, a main character because yeah. he's he's he is absolutely down on his luck. Um, he's got a girlfriend who's just broken up with him. He's in a job that he hates, and he's... I mean, he's just kind of piloted around and moseying through life almost as a zombie. So he's like an unlikely protagonist, but we can all get behind him because, yeah. first of all, he's Simon Pegg and his right. friend is Nick Frost. They're two of the most lovely, charismatic people of course. on the planet. But second of all, because they have a simple driving fa- like factor of surviving, even if their, idi- their own idiocy gets in the way. Mm-hmm. Um, I love too that when they when they're on the, the when they're in the apartment building like the third floor up, and they're completely safe. And they uh, uh, Simon Pegg says to Nick Frost, "We need to be somewhere safe, somewhere on the ground." Yeah. <laughs> it's perfect. But I also think that because Simon Pegg really wasn't a big um, wasn't a big actor. I mean, he did Space um, mm-hmm. before. But it was like he really was not a household name, and, he, and not anywhere to the degree he to, to, to the degree he is now. Right. But I mean, I feel like the way they introduced him really as this big character, as a big actor in Shaun of the Dead, was a very phenomenal, just pronounced. It was nuanced yeah. method of doing it because it wasn't, you know, it, you're an actor who's in a comedy. It's like the temptation is to show him as a rubbery. You know, just wildly, you know, just, you know, everything is physical, everything is exaggerated, you know, like everything has to be kind of crazy and, oh, I'm a comedian, haha, yeah, I'm, I'm going to crack jokes and I'm going to be like the Hugh Grant of characters yeah. who just like, you know, it just has a certain suave and all that stuff to it. Um, yeah, so yeah, yeah, yeah. But I, I think my point, my point being though, is that I feel like because of, of Edgar Wright, the director, uh, a lot of the, the 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 humor was in the, the delivery of deadpan jokes. Yeah, was in the shotgun style cinematography, the quick shots in succession of like the doors closing, the oh, yeah. coffee pot That's and everything. And room. it's it also helps to propel the story, but also helps to help the actors because they they act, they have a, a certain way of measuring out. The introduction into and, and, and you know to utilizing those kinds of decisions, stylistic decisions that can really help elevate Simon Keg uh, Seven Keg. Uh, that's that, that's <laughs> when, when he when he's plastered. That's his that's his alter ego. But I mean, uh, they do go to the Winchester. That's true. That is true. Um, <laughs> but you're right. You're right though. And here's here's where I think Edgar Wright did such a great job. Yeah. He set up Simon Pegg and Nick Frost characters as being these losers, yeah. for lack of a better term. Uh, but the way the story kind of uh, evolves, it's setting up these characters and having this struggle then to turn them into these likable, heroic people. Yeah. Because in the end, the, there are times when I've watched Sha- and I've watched Shaun of the Dead like many, many times. But towards the end yeah. of it, it gets so emotional that yeah. at times I it's hard for me to even watch, yeah. especially when Simon Pegg's spoilers for a movie from two thousand three when his mother passes away. It's a really emotional of moment. Course. So every and and when the characters start dropping like flies, like I it actually had more resonance with me, and it was a true character arc where so many movies have what seems to be these really tested uh, characters who've been. Uh, like th- there have been focus groups and studies of like, oh, this is going to be a likable guy who's nerdy, but he's not too nerdy. Right, he's, like Chuck. Yeah, like Chuck. Yeah, exactly. I was just thinking about Chuck. Yeah. 
but we have this we have these characters the like this duo against these forces of evil we don't really know anything else that's going on in the world except that which is provided to us by news like new, like uh news reports which is also kind of a play on traditional zombie movies mm-hmm. but you have that you have that thing that you can kind of grab onto and say like this is a romantic comedy with zombies right. well i mean yeah, i i agree and i think um in particular with just obviously they show like the the mundane nature of life you know like they have those phenomenal hilarious tracking shots through like the grocery store everyone's in the same line checking out the oh, same so thing at the same speed everyone's kind of lumbering along no one's talking to each other mm-hmm. like they're creating obviously that that obvious association the fact that if the world did end and there were zombies how much different really would it be? Yeah, and, and how long would it take people to actually realize exactly. that? Exactly. But I think what's great about it is that they, they were able to make those parallels and make that connection and have all these very obvious uh, like, you know, metaphors and whatnot. But I think what's great is that the end propelled it, though, because yeah. it wasn't just, oh, we're going to go full circle. We're going to show that it really wasn't that much different than what happened in the beginning before the invasion took place or before right. the, the outbreak took place. It was also, um, you know, let's let these characters evolve let's round these characters out because yes they've they might not have changed as much uh as they were in the as in the, in the beginning they've lost people that they know their friends right. and everything but it also it also shows that like you know no they have they've they've grown they've become more complex characters and you feel far more empathetic towards them and yeah. their situation you know it reminds me of, of, of movies like uh you know there are movies that have evolved around losers, um, and they can they just they 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 fall apart sometimes, yeah. or they might try to attack it from a different angle. Like uh, Harold and Kumar was a great example of a movie that did a great job with these two characters. Yeah, uh, similar in a way. Very similar, and then you know, there's like there's Dude, Where's My Car, and there's Biodome. There's a lot of movies like it was it was like a '90s trope. Don't you, don't you dare shit on my Biodome. <laughs> <laughs> like uh, you know, when it they was put those cigarette filters, <laughs> the giant filter to clean the air, and the <laughs> I you know the night was like a '90s early early 2000s where like yeah it was really really popular to have a bunch of people who are down on the luck like Ashton Kutcher, Sean William Scott. Yep. Um, uh, uh, the Baldwin. I don't know the guy Baldwin and yeah. Polly Shore. I don't know which one is it. Michael Baldwin. I don't remember. Mm-hmm. Um, um, and they. I think that Jake. Jake Baldwin. They introduced them like they were both like on the couch and they were tearing each other's toenails off with their teeth. Yes. The weirdest thing. It was and the thing about the nineties. I don't. know. <laughs> like and they have, they, have, they have these gorgeous girlfriends. Yeah. And every single all these nineties buddy comedies yeah. about like college age kids. They're all. They're always like. They don't. They don't work. They're just hanging out, and they got these beautiful girlfriends who they don't really care about. They're not really like charismatic. Well, basketball. Basketball is another good, great example of these two people that were friends from childhood. Tread. Tread, uh, tread lightly, my but friend. I mean, and I, I, I'm, I know I'm, I'm purposely I'm combining all very good, very good, you know, buddy movies and yeah. bad movies in the same category because we can tell like there's the, there's a wide breadth of differences uh, between <laughs> them, but they're united by the fact that there are two people who, in general, like even though we're not really we don't really like Pauly Shore, I don't think anybody really can say that they love the guy. You know, if you do phenomenal more power to you yeah but i feel like you know i've heard he's a good guy i've heard he's pretty decent in real life so mm-hmm. um i've heard nothing i have nothing against him but and as far as his movies i don't think anybody's going to be just 
jumping out of their seat to say that they've that they love Biodome. I I thought I, Biodome was up there as a guilty pleasure for me. Uh, oh, me too. Encino um, Man. I mean, yeah, in the army course. now. In the I army now. Yeah. Right. There's some stuff out there, but I feel like for me, they're trying to in Biodome in particular. They're, they're trying to develop them as empathetic characters. You're supposed to kind of ease into the fact that oh, they're kind of like you. They're kind of like me. Mm-hmm. You know and uh, but honestly, from the beginning to the end, there's not a dramatic progression. There's not a change, change in their character. They're still kind of exactly who they were. Um, and I think that whole argument with Shaun of the Dead is the fact that they were the same at the start, but they have, they've been tested, they've evolved, and you've grown so much more closer to them as a result. And that's a movie that has like a lot of accents, you yeah. know, like a very, it's, you know, it's very different. The whole world, the city is just, just generate. It's, it's different, you know? And so you would think that it'd be a little bit more hard to swallow. Right. Um, but you know, it was just, yeah, there's a general sensibility that there, these characters, the actors themselves also happen to be just insanely charismatic as well. You know, you were talking about Biodome. Yeah. There's something about Biodome. It's almost like mother. It's like, it's a metaphor about how humans will treat the planet. Mm -hmm. It's a microcosm. It's all in this bottle. In Biodome, it's in the, whatever that simulation of, uh, of, of a, like, um, what what is it? Like a simulation of an off, planet base they i think they participated in the program because they were they were needing money i believe yeah it was like (laughs) biosphere 2 i think is the name of the the location where they were yeah but then they (laughs) then they just they just start like messing around and um and it's it reminds me i bet you know honestly it makes me hate mother because i feel like mother really ripped off biodome because that's also all about how humans will trash the earth it's. I mean, it's. Um, I would hate. I would have hated to be uh, Jick Baldwin or Polly Shore watching Mother and just thinking, <laughs> "Oh my God, they fucking they, they did it. They, they did fucking it." Aronofsky I mean, stole <laughs> stole the whole premise. You know, and I think yet again, it wasn't just that these like you know when we watched someone like Simon Pegg and, and Nick Frost sort of navigate, like they're still sort of conceited. They're still like. Like when they're trying to throw things at the zombies, they're going it's through just, records. She's so drunk. Well, they're just trying to go through records, you know, Shoddy. through 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 vinyl, yeah. and they're trying to figure out which ones are good, which ones are bad. They're sorting through them. Yeah, and <laughs> it's like it's like that's like I don't know, I don't know. There's like a general like a universal rule of of them being just very charismatic and and and, and put into situations where like okay, like I I get it though. Like I, there's part of me that like yeah, if I was emotionally attached to something. You know, I think that's, I don't know, they kind of, they, they preyed on a very specific t- aspect of human nature in that was, regard, too. It elevated the zombie, inv- like the, the zombie uprising yeah. film genre. And too. it was scary. The film and it was, was scary. really scary. Yeah. But I loved it, though, when they see the girl and they said, oh, my God, she is so drunk. drunk. Yeah. And then, like, she's on top of Simon Pegg and they were kind of wrestling on the ground. Nick Frost is above them with a disposable camera. <laughs> yeah, and yeah. Photos. Yeah. And then you see, like, when she, like, you know, uh, Simon Pegg throws her off. She falls into, like, the... Uh, an umbrella or something yeah. it pierces her heart yeah. and you just hear the click 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 yes. the disposable cameras Nick Frost is looking on in disbelief like, they just don't make movies like that anymore no they're far in between especially but for also comedies th- think about this though because that comedy it's like that click 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 I mean a lot of people probably wouldn't even have noticed it but it's like it doesn't matter They Edgar Wright in particular would write 
something like that would put would film something like that and they would just throw that in there like the airplane airplane will shoot at shoot at like 30 jokes a minute at you yeah and it'll be hysterical and amazing for the first two or three jokes and you might not even see or hear or yeah. realize the other ones but that's the greatest part about a movie like that is that movies can be rewatched and you can yes. really enjoy it and you can pick up all these other details mm-hmm. and there's something like you know, Marvel did a good job too, which is the fact that, like, you know, having Easter eggs, having things that are put in there, and I feel like that's there's something magical about a movie that it's like, you know, the small details are there. They're not going to just have a giant pointing neon, you know, glowing sign. You know, oh, this is a detail that I put in uh, that added another five dollars to the budget or something. It was like, hey, we're gonna throw in these details. We're gonna make right. it as real as realistic as possible. It'll be hysterical if you don't pick it up. Not a big deal, but if you happen to rewatch it and you pick up on the detail, it makes you love that movie even more. I, I agree. Well thought out worlds. Yeah. Um, but, you know, talking about Marvel in particular, I mean, how many villains did we have to go through? I'm just kind of jumping back to villains. Yeah. How many villains did we have to go through before we actually had somebody who's compelling? You know, like it's Thanos a, is the big, you know, the yeah. well, I mean, big he's purple the, favorite. He's the big, I mean, he... You know, and then Josh Brolin. I mean, he's Josh Brolin's just I, he's just a phenomenal actor. Yeah, he's very um, he's very good. And so, I mean, he. I don't know. That's a great question. Um, Marvel well, and Thanos thinks he's doing the right thing. I mean, we yeah. can't really. I don't think that's right for us to really spoil that film no. right now. No, of course. But I think like yeah, there is yet again. There's moral ambiguity with the villains. They're not so bad. They're not bad. Or good, or any, any you know, without without some semblance of relatability, you need to have to have some semblance of relatability. Understand, like for example, um, with prisoners, we understand like if your child is abducted, you know, and you have you found that the guy potentially responsible for that, which happened to be um, Paul Dano, mm-hmm. you can feel for Hugh Jackman. I that. always feel for Paul Dano. He just seems like a tortured soul. He's a phenomenal actor. He's so he's great. great. No, he's but phenomenal. Hugh Jackman, but Hugh Jackman is just like, you understand. Like, in Hugh Jackman, in many ways, if you were Paul Dano, Hugh Jackman would probably look like the villain in his eyes. Would yep. be, he's like, oh, wow, you're, buying, you're, you're, you're chaining me to a bathroom. I think a bathroom chair or something like that, where he's thrown mm-hmm. in, and he's just bound. and Imprisoned. He's in, imprisoned, exactly. Uh, and... You know, there's a point where of desperation, people always talk about that, right? Death proof, not death proof, uh, death wish with um, Bronson. You know, the whole idea that, you know, his family was, you know, uh, killed. I think they were like raped and killed. And he wants to go after these villains, you know, after the people, you know, kind of like a Batman, like a superhero, um, you know, um, vigilante justice kind of thing going. Um, but it also means that, like, I think, like, having some semblance of relatability with, with, with people who are characteristic, you know, or uncharacteristically evil or veering towards evil, uh, it, it helps. It really does help. Because otherwise, everyone turns into, uh, um, I was going to say gold member. <laughs> What's gold? Is it gold finger? Gold finger, yeah. <laughs> I expect you to die. Yeah. Everyone turns into someone who's just like, yeah, it, it's, it becomes a parody to the point where like, okay, is it, what is world domination? Like, what's well, it's the like, it's like the movie, uh, the talented Mr. Ripley when, mm-hmm. um, was it Matt Damon's character who says like, you know, no matter what a person does, like they never think that they're a bad person person yeah you know like nobody actually thinks that they're evil and he they said i think, think he said it like that too as well he's just like that to be creepy 
Yeah, it doesn't mean that they think they're bad. They're, they're bad people. Bad person. How, let me show you how I got these scars. <laughs> it's um yeah I uh, um I I think that it's important. I think Marvel with Thanos did a great job with just making sure that that's that that that's established. And that's it's, all I'm going to say about also, that too. And it's also about time. I find that so many well, especially Mike. Do we have it? What's that? Do we have time? We don't. We don't know. Am I going to die? Mm-hmm. Just wait a while. <laughs> just, just wait. Just wait a while. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, and that's some. That's I think part of a carryover of what happens in film that doesn't typically happen as fast in a, a good TV show. Mm-hmm. Like in film, you got these arcs that kind of have to happen, and they have to happen fast because you only have two, maybe, and if you're if you're Peter Jackson. 12 hours to really figure (laughs) out what a character's motivations are and who the villain is and what their motivations are. And unfortunately it can become very binary of what the, what the motive, what the motivations are and who these, like who these, like it's good versus evil. But that's why I think the birth of the anti-hero, especially, especially after, you know, in the two thousands, um, has been incredibly and all that stuff too. Yeah, Sin City. Well, and also, I mean, Breaking Bad comes to mind. Yes. You've got Walter White, who in every other film or, vid- or, or 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 TV show would have been would have been the villain. He is like the mastermind, but we're cheering for him because I think there's a little bit of darkness in all of us, and then there's a little bit of good in all villains, which is why we have Salamanca, and we've got all these really great villains who were like, you know about- what, I'm kind of. I'm kind of on the other side with some of these mm-hmm. characters. Well, like I was thinking about it, like you mentioned Peter Jackson and 12 hours like he had. I was thinking, you know what? But I, for some reason, it's easier to digest if the ultimate motive for a villain is to like world domination or rule the universe. It's easier to digest that as a concept when it's like in, when it's set in a fantastical world yeah. than if it's set in the real world. Right. I don't know why that is. It's why? True. Why is that Saruman like literally... He wants to do the same um, same stuff. thing, and it's like, but we we I, we dig it. We're like, yeah, mm-hmm. Middle Earth. It's I mean, we don't really know how, even how big this place is. Like, yeah, go for it, right? Like, not yeah. go for it, but I mean, like, you know what I mean? Like, but I feel like it's go easy, it's, it. but it's easier to like understand. Like, okay, I get it. You know, he's an evil wizard. He's got to, you know, he's got to do his thing. Yeah. Also, but, yeah, and and because the evil is personified as a giant fucking eye. Yeah. <laughs> but you that you can you can then can can not. You can appreciate the the optics of it, like the visual of like these hordes of this villainous army, and they they're very simple. Yeah. They're not quite human. You got these yeah. orcs, and you know then then I mean same thing with Game of Thrones. You have the human interplay of the good and the bad, and the bad people have good elements. The good people have bad elements. Nobody is purely like you know, and and doesn't matter who you are on the are on that spectrum. You're probably gonna get killed off. You're probably gonna, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Very few people are gonna survive. But then you got the White Walkers. They've basically been doing what Thanos has been doing for what seven seasons, eight seasons now. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. But you have. It's very true. Nobody's <laughs> safe. Yeah. Uh, and uh, and and unless your unless your head's not cut off, nobody's coming back either. That's true. That's true. No Sleepy Hollow going on over here. Oh my God, Sleepy Hollow! Just flashes flashes of Walken's face just popped in my eyes with those shark teeth. <laughs> I okay. Oh, now uh, oh god, here we go. I loved I settle, loved settle in, Sleepy folks. Hollow. Here we go. 
Um, this was a tell movie me that, all the ways. Okay, pull your Daisy, pluck so the petals, and tell me, me all the ways you love Let me movie. explain. <laughs> so imagine, imagine it was what two thousand and three, two, two thousand and forever. It was early. I'll never forget. I walked into a blockbuster, and I remember those. Walk in mm-hmm. and literally. Oh yeah, um, oh yeah, kids ask your parents. Uh, blockbusters are places where you can go to actually rent movies. Yes, yes, and they're they're great. They're great times. A great time. And by rent, and, it means that you pick it up, you take it home, you watch it, and you return it within two days, or you're levied. A you get you. Fine. It's like a thousand. It's a thousand bucks. Not some big. Thousand bucks. No, nah, it's they have pocket change. They have op- options for for paying it off with financing. But uh, um, but it's yeah. I never forget walking into a blockbuster and seeing this massive, massive like like a graphic, like a poster going all along the entire perimeter of this blockbuster. Jeez! And it was this massive, like it was like a like a you know it, the walls from like the, the the tops of the shelves to the ceiling is only like you know three four feet, and it would go up there, and then it would go all the way down, and it was just this massive panoramic shot of the woods. And then on one side was Johnny Depp, and the other side was like, <laughs> no, no, no. It was the, what's her, the girl? I don't know. Uh, Christina uh, Ricci. Ricci. I can't remember her last Christina name. Christina Ricci. Um, and I'm not, I just like I think in retrospect, thinking about like the fact that Tim Burton was like tasked with bringing this the whole headless horseman thing to, to, to life yeah he's like oh movie taking place in the woods with twisted trees and i feel like that's so cool though i don't know I, it's right up his alley I, I think it's like that's like it was like i don't even think he had to go in and ask for the project he was like tim just take it just go yeah so tim just removed his <laughs> hair put it on uh, put it on christopher walken <laughs> <laughs> gave johnny um, depp his glasses yeah basically um but Is Helena, uh, uh bonham carter in that too Yes, yeah, she uh, plays like a person, like a, like a, I don't know, like a witch or something in the forest. Oh, I think so. Interesting. I believe so. Yeah, yeah. That was. You think of the Vivich? The Vivich, yeah. Uh, but it's I don't know. For me, uh, where, were, where were we going with that? I think you, we were, you're talking. You're talking about how much you love that movie. I know, but how is how do we get to Sleepy Hollow? I think we because <laughs> <laughs> I was talking about Christopher Walken. Oh my god! I swear to I don't know. This is this is crazy. <laughs> mm-hmm. this Six is, degrees of walking, but I'm excited like in, to walk is, with you through the woods and tell me other things about the movie that you like. Well, I guess because I villains. guess the villains. Well, villains. Oh, yeah. beheaded, beheaded. Game of Thrones. Game oh, beheaded. that's right. And then I actually then speaking of which, yeah, yet again, this, uh, the headless horseman. You know that story is he is a tortured soul. He is someone like Paul Dano, like you said, he's a tortured soul. Yeah, uh, headless horseman. eyes, but headless horseman. Like, if you're listening at home, all four of you. Yeah, he has Ryan Gosling at home. Uh, Ryan Gosling eyes. Yeah. Well, yeah, maybe. Yes, sad eyes. Well, Maggie Gyllenhaal. Maggie. Yes. <laughs> so really sad eyes. Sad eyes. Very sad. You know, it's like the look that I had on my face when Parks and Recreation died. It's like if. Well, it's like that. It's like if G, with the look on Paul Giamatti's face when Paul, when Parks and Recreation died, or the look on Paul Giamatti's face when he watched the end of the Amazing Spider-Man Two. Yeah, very true. I'm the Rhino. God, it's funny. I was, you know, the wait. Let's let's the let's, fact that Thomas Hayden Church plays Sandman and he plays Rhino. It was the weird sideways reunion <laughs> that no one asked for. No, God. <laughs> It's yeah. just—it's like the same thing with uh, like like uh, with Samuel Jackson as Glass and and Bruce Willis. Mm-hmm. Uh, Unbreakable was the Die Hard reunion that yeah. that we didn't know we got. 
Mm-hmm. It's, it's not the diehard reunion we wanted. It's the diehard <laughs> reunion we deserved. I, exactly. Um, but I, yeah, no, but yeah, compelling villains. Villains that are, you have to feel something for them. This would be common sense. But I guess maybe, I don't know, it's like we're back to like the old movie code almost. We're like, yeah. we can't make them too relatable. We can't make it them sucks. too understandable because you know we don't want to be you know sympathizing with serial killers or whatnot best villains are the ones where at the end we're like i'm really sad that that person's dead right like there was something to what that like what that what that character was all about yeah um i miss i miss characters like that i feel like very few films well like darth vader darth vader i mean oh yeah darth vader is is like you know yeah i mean it speaks for himself itself he speaks for himself themselves. all the time. <laughs> themselves. <laughs> yeah. No, well, in Darth Vader, too, like, you see him first in in, um, in The Phantom Menace. No, in The New Hope. And then mm-hmm. you see that character develop. And then by the end of it, you just see him for the old man that he is. And he's trying to reconnect. And yeah. I mean, what what a redemptive story. Just right. um, that he... Oh, he it's it's not really that Luke and Leia and everybody saved the day. It's Darth Vader saved the day. Mm-hmm. Like Darth Vader threw the Emperor. Yeah, you know. Um, so hats, helmets off to Vader. Helmets off. Helmets off. Um, but yeah, I mean, I mean, the movies have done it. But it just it seems like it's like I guess people now it's almost like you. It's like I will not make a compelling character that you can sympathize and empathize with unless I'm given a trilogy to explore yeah. that option. It has mm-hmm. to, it's never, it can never really be done in one movie. It's like, I'll throw 300 million at me and we'll see what happens. Yeah, we'll talk. We'll talk. <laughs> like Thanos. Uh, <laughs> um, but he was first introduced in the original Avengers or, yeah. and uh, that was like eight years ago. Yeah, it's like, pretty re- remarkable. It's absolutely remarkable and um, villains, I don't know, like I think that well, I actually, mean, let's let's crawl. Let, let's kind of walk, walk it back a bit. Let's Other crawl than, it back. Let, let's walk in it back a little bit. Um, who would you say? Who are who are your favorite movie villains of all time? I mean, it's hard not to get um, get swifty with it. Get swifty. Uh, no, but it's it's hard not to be you know to have a, a, an overly cliche list. Um, well, I would say Daniel Plainview. Uh, yeah. from There Will Be Blood mm-hmm. is up there uh, played it. by Daniel Day Daniel Day yep mm-hmm. and I mean for a thousand reasons we're, he, we're, we're that close when we, we're on a first and second name basis yeah with uh, Daniel well, I, well I said Daniel Plainview oh. which is the character's name which I oh no no I, but I said Daniel Day oh okay yeah yeah I mean he's phenom- phenomenal let's, phenomenal let's both agree that we're both phenomenal right. character and uh, interesting character that is Manipulative, egotistical, um, just someone who's all about uh, one, you know, kind of one focus, uh, and you know, has a son that he has, he has raised, and you know, just I, I don't want to. Obviously, I don't. Even though the movie came out what two thousand seven or eight, it's not exactly like a like a new movie, but it's like one of those movies that it still has enough. You know, importance to it that I would recommend anybody who hasn't seen it to check it out because it is a movie that revolves around a character who is very cold, someone who you really can't necessarily get too comfortable with, mm-hmm. but you can feel like, hey, he's really motivated, though, right? Like yeah, it's, it's like it's, it's, it's you can involved in the oil business. You can basically you can empathize with him because he's 
you're like you know it's like it's it's almost like the, the joke that people make that like yeah serial killers like you know got to appreciate the motivation kind of thing. I think George Carlin talked about that too as well. Oh yeah. I was like, Oh no, what we don't need our motivated people. Motivated yeah. people are the people yeah. who end up yeah. doing horrible shit. Yeah. So like, I think maybe that maybe the fact that he was so driven in his pursuit of more money and yeah. to be, you know, to do all this stuff and dominance in that regard. Cause he basically wanted world domination. He was Thanos and there will be blood. I mean, mm-hmm. he was, but it was only because he was an oil baron. He wanted to spread his own stuff through lies and deceit and all that stuff. But I yeah. think that's, he's with, Without a doubt, one of the more compelling villains that I've that I can think of. It's great, great film. Um, that bowling alley scene, so great. But it's like that's a good example. Like I, I probably could come up with a bunch. Like yeah, I could mention, you know, um, you know uh, Celine Dion. I could mention Jack Nicholson in The Shining. Mm-hmm. It was one of my one of my favorite villains. Is someone who's just so. Like he's a writer, he's struggling, he's going through some some stuff. And like I said, I know that that's an ad- an adaptation from uh, Stephen King's book. Is it a book or is it a novella? I don't even know what it is. It's a novel. Is it a novel? Yeah, because I, 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 I remember buying it for part of like a part of like an anthology. I still haven't read it. I've read thirty of his books, but not not The Shining. Um, but so yeah, that's the best for last. But it's honestly like yet again, it's a character that you you go with. You know, he has he has his uh, his kid. They're you know they're going to a remote secluded area, and he sort of develops you know this crazy psychosis and kind of goes nuts and all this stuff. And it's like there's like you know paranormal stuff. There's real trauma psychological craziness i think that's like yet again i i'm not saying that you have to have incredibly deep characters uh you know villains or 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 protagonists but on some level i should at least understand what they're doing why they're doing there should be some part of me that can connect with them it's not too much to ask for and he also went he's uh he's a troubled person yeah who um there's something about that place that yeah. infects him Amityville style and turns him into this monster. It's crazy to think yeah. too, that he typed like he typed all those pages. Yeah. Oh, and uh, last one that I'll mention too, just to kind of round out a very really basic, simple list, but I would say Nightcrawler. Mm-hmm. Uh, just a great, another great example of a character, you know, that is very, very driven <laughs> also, that's one hell of a snub too for Jake Jelly. Yeah, very motivated, very driven. Um, wants to make a, ma- a big name for himself. You know the wants- right, the writer said that that character though, he doesn't have an arc. He's basically a virus, like, yeah. and he just keeps on getting stronger and stronger. Yeah, I think it's because of the fact that he's uh, yeah he's abnormal in that regard. Yeah. His character isn't as round as a traditional Hollywood character. Yeah, he's not fully explored or understood, which, which is love. kind of like. It's that that's kind of Joker esque, I would say, mm-hmm. uh, in that you don't fully understand him, and that's the whole point. That's a very it's fully. very Joker esque, yeah. And that's another reason why, like the Joker and or Nightcrawler, kind of get my own bid for that part. You know, at least from recent, my relatively recent memory, those are the ones that I can say that are the most compelling, just because you know there is part of me that like, okay, I get it, I know what they're doing, and you know, um, I I just I applaud writers who actually go out their way to make something that's compelling mm-hmm. and different yeah like a real like a challenge a challenging a challenge. character to write and then a challenging character to to play like jake right. gyllenhaal i just always think of like his big eyes and no. just it's a complete departure complete yeah. complete departure he's he, he's he's able to be such like a soft and kind of cuddly uh like character in most of his most of his films 
and yet in this one I thought he disappeared and he became he became this Daniel Psy- Daniel psychotic. Day Daniel Day disappeared yeah and became I mean he played the butcher in on uh, uh, in Games in New York I, yeah but I mean for the most part like yeah do you really would see that I mean you see Daniel Day in real life he looks like the most pleasant person ever but like he yeah, he, looks he like went Lincoln. super method yeah mm-hmm. super super method with yeah. uh, their blood it's true it's interesting too that a few of your a few of your points were like people who were very much method yeah you know Daniel Daniel Day Lewis and um, uh, Jack Nicholson was like famously very method. Now the thing is, though, Stephen King, as you know, that universal understanding is the fact that Stephen King's primary uh, issue with with Jack Nicholson in The Shining was the fact that he wanted to have someone who looked normal and then became crazier. But Stephen King felt that that Jack Nicholson looked crazy from He's the right. first from the first frame. He's right. He that always looks crazy. He's like, oh, so it already happened already. So he already went and lost his mind. Yeah, that's basically what Steve. That was his primary issue with 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 Jack Nicholson, which I think is hilarious that's, that's to me that's great for him. <laughs> yeah. he does already look he's like high in the office because when you think about it he's he wants a rounded character and yeah. he wants like an actual character who looks like they've, they're going through some stuff but yeah like there was enough of like the what is it the the, the Kubrick stare that they, that they do with the the head that's lowered like the yeah. bowl charge thing yeah, and he was I doing that that was the thing I didn't they call, I think they call it they call it the Kubrick stare so Kubrick I immediately look. think of like a clockwork orange when you know when he's like kind of looking there's over. Kubrick had it's like it's like a signature thing like looking through his eyebrows basically yeah and but there were moments in early on in the movie that he was doing it's that it's so. a good idea though for our next profile pics <laughs> the Kubrick stare Kubrick stares it, it would just you know it would set the the right impression you know but uh, <laughs> but yeah it, it's you know it really brings the sex like <laughs> puts the sex in sex offender yeah <laughs> it, it's honestly I, 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 I would say that that would be you know that's kind of a, a decent list as far as movies or characters that good or bad are just they're just compelling they're different mm-hmm. and I, I applaud and appreciate people who go out of their way to make something that is relatable but not foreign you know like there's just this element of mystery i think the word that i'm looking for is mystery is having an element of mystery and not knowing everything about i don't want to know what you eat for breakfast like i don't want to know everything about what you do and what you're going for uh leave something to the imagination yeah and then make it but also have some elements that make me feel empathetic towards your plight as well yeah, well, I like that you mentioned The Shining because I thought that char- like Jack Nicholson's character and the hotel yeah. merge into one, and what a what a thrilling performance! And just also seeing everybody else acting off of his chaos, especially just the way, you know, when he goes into the bar and he's getting a drink and he's sort of like, yeah, he's himself. But you can just tell that there's something's just something off. something's there. Yeah, it's like this. It's that little spark, and uh, like it actually reminds me a little bit of another great, uh, you know, great villain, uh, Javier Bardem's character in uh, No Country for Old Men. Yeah, uh, I feel like with him there is such a, it's like there's a theft of the, like there's a theft of sympathy or the sympathetic part of that person's mind, and you can just see it as this psychosis that a. Like personifies itself as this person. Like yeah. when I think of absolute evil, I can't help but think of No Country for Old Men. Well, I told you. I mean, I think I mentioned this before in an earlier podcast, but I told you that the the, the way they describe him in the book is that he's the man 
without a sense of humor. That's how they describe Javier Bardem's character. That's great. I mean, yeah. I mean, which it's, is perfect. It's That's very like, appropriate. He doesn't have a sense of humor. Which is like it's such a great way of basically saying that, like, yeah, he is. He is just you know he's a sociopath. Mm-hmm. He is entirely disconnected he's from like, reality. Yeah, he's does no understanding of emotion or human empathy every like you said everything's kind of binary in his eyes you know uh and, well, and he's just there to destroy he's exactly um and it doesn't matter if you're a man or a woman you he's just um this bizarre type of person that in a way you just know exists in you, the world you know so little about him too which i think is phenomenal yeah. like i and he, there's I, a lot of screen time you see him you a don't lot. know you don't know a lot about like his childhood you don't really know a lot about really his upbringing or anything because the you know the cohen brothers found that that's not things that things should be left to the imagination things should be doing things that I mean, that's the problem I think with nowadays with these, there's so many franchises reboots and prequels you're rounding out like and I, I'll mention his name once but it's you know with Ridley Scott <gasps> it's you know like he's you, our favorite you are, elderly you filmmaker. are you are okay so initially the alien was shot with one light aliens shot with multiple lights you know and then it got and then alien 3 freaking like broad daylight you know in full like a you know and like the well-lit prison one of the most well-lit most efficient looking prisons i've seen um and as he's literally lighting the alien to show more and more of it because he's super proud of his work as he should be um well yeah i feel like yeah. there's well i mean you know what's his name fincher for alien 3 well yeah fincher for yeah exactly and then 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 um, Ridley also then said that the, the alien was a a bug. That's how he described the alien at late in later movies. He just became more and more dis. He just just didn't. It just came through as someone who's like, okay, is, is this is going to be like a Jim Carrey uh, Jim Carrey situation with, uh, and and. Uh, uh, Jeff Daniels situation where they go back to hit, uh, Dumb and Dumber 2 and they're like I think I get the character they're wild and zany and all that and they people I guess they they both seemingly forgot the fact that yes they're wild and zany and, and crazy but they're also like lovable they're lovable idiots that that, yeah. that are not they're not they're not prone to physical outbursts at the point where they will you know, potentially kill someone. Yeah. Like the whole thing with putting like the hot stuff, the peppers and stuff on the burger and for the hitman and then for the first time in the first time in number, mm-hmm. like they were laughing at the fact that they, that he was so, you know, the, the food was so hot. They, you know, I think they killed him. Right. They did. Cause then, no, well they didn't, that's not what killed him. They fed him the pills, rat poison, the rat poison, and it, so. But think pills about that. Are good. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, they're so, actually the villains. But, of but, the, but the thing is, but that's unintentional. Mm-hmm. In the in Dumb and Number Two, they were doing that stuff intentionally. They were very mean spirited, and yeah. that went against their entire character. Which I get. I don't know how I got to this point, but I think it was sort of the fact that uh, somehow Christopher Walken. <laughs> but I think it's because of of yeah, like I guess their their understanding because it was such a long time from the first Dumb and Dumber to Dumb and Dumber Two. Jim Carrey was sort of like, oh, I, I watched it once, like a night before the first shot, the yeah. first they started shooting the second, uh, the new one, uh, and they kind of they forgot what made the characters the characters. I think Ridley Scott he did that as well with those movies. And my point ultimately being is that he then used prequels and things like that into into Xenomorph, into the mythos of the Xenomorph, explaining everything about them, where they come from, what they do, really 
going through every facet of that character, anything that was left to the imagination, anything that was left to us to ponder was extrapolated, explored, and displayed right out in front of us. And it leaves mm-hmm. nothing to the imagination, well, which is horrendous, in but, my opinion. Rid- but Ridley Scott also, for the original Alien, you know, it's 1979, simple, v- you know, relatively simple film with incredible, this incredible character and production design. Yeah. Um, Ridley Scott's later work, though, alludes to what would happen in Prometheus, like in Blade Runner. He's trying to find out uh, the meaning of life. You know, he's got these like um, these characters, these replicants who are exploring the idea of life and souls. But remember, this is not this is not Ridley Scott. I mean, this is Blade Runner is not his work. It's still his work because he was attached to it. You know, like he, like he, he still. And he Phil still, K. Dick wrote, like, it, you know, in the same way that Lord of the Rings kind of set up the blueprint. And obviously, I, I give Peter Jackson props for bringing that very dense work into the film, into cinematic vision. Uh, really, Scott should be praised for that. But it's like, you know, a lot of these things that are thematically similar. I mean, he's connecting something that Geiger created with something that it, uh, that Philip K. Dick created and I, I honestly just i don't know i'm indifferent to the idea of well, giving him credit that way but but it's also like thinking about you know you think about thematic choices and i think ridley scott makes thematic choices he also has an incredible amount of power and influence as a director yeah he will influence the way the writer like the the writer does not make a movie the writer writes a script the yeah. movie is made by the director looking through the script making changes and edits and very often the writer is not even there on set when they're producing when they're actually producing the movie but you look at blade runner and then you look at that side by side with prometheus Wait, did, he, did he write what did he what did he write who ridley ridley i i actually i don't know i don't think who, he, wrote, don't, who, wrote, who wrote the original alien i don't think it was Ridley. it was uh, i can't think of his name he went he came back for uh for Alien Covenant, didn't uh, we'll, we'll have to look it up. But um, like for Prometheus, he didn't write Prometheus either. No, was that, was Damon, lost. that was Lindelof. Damon Lindelof. Yeah. Um, but you look. But then, but you also. I mean, as somebody who's an auteur, has a lot of power. I mean, there are not a whole lot of writer directors out there. Um, you know, Prometheus is still about the pursuit for the origins of life. He just kind of sculpted that. To, to be about something that he he didn't really want to make a movie about Alien. He wanted to make uh, his own film because he's an auteur and it had been 40 years, you know, since... I mean, like, no, my argument, God bless him for having a career that spans so many decades. It's my argument, My argument isn't necessarily with the direction of Alien. It's just the f- simple fact that they have revealed every single thing about the Alien. Well, so... You just don't really fancy yourself a Ridley Scott fan. No, I'm a big Ridley Scott fan. I love Alien, love to, Aliens. But, to, but today is Ridley Scott? No. Exactly. No, like I love <laughs> Alien, Aliens, Gladiator. Those are great, all great movies. The Martian. Martian was good. Yeah, great. Um, you know, uh, All the Money in the World was, you know, okay. Like, yeah. I don't, there's a few movies out there that he's kind of, you know, uh, that has done. I thought American Gangster with Denzel. And Ridley, and Ridley, not Ridley. What's his name? Russell Crowe. Yeah, uh, was uh, that was good. You know, I think that there's there are movies where he's very comfortable. He's, he's really well done. You know, he really does a great job at you know exploring things. But his sci-fi, you know, the trappings that he you know that he really pursues. That's kind of where I think he's the most popular, most well known because he has the freedom. As everyone tells anybody, you know, the idea that science fiction you have literally 
limitless things that you can explore. You have entire ideas and definitions. Mm-hmm. There's nothing confined to earthly, you know, the things. I think that's. Yeah. But my point with with the xenomorph is the fact that I don't. You know, we were talking about the fact that people like you know, like someone like Javier Bardem is somewhat mysterious. He's sort of disconnected. He's either something off or different. The xenomorph as a creature that really has, serves a very simple, single purpose is very similar in that regard where the, we actually are left to kind of ponder exactly what these things are. There's a level of mystery associated with it. And yeah. I think that's kind of important to me. Like I don't it's I'd rather same, not know about I'd rather not know about where the xenomorph right. that's originated. It's, it's Metachlorians. It's, it's finding out the reason behind the force. When the direct the director or writer or whomever is right. adapting it that's my to argument. figure out that, what made it magical in the first place. Right. I was just saying that that was my biggest um you know that was my feeling towards uh, his approach to really extrapolating the xenomorph because he found that the idea of going through this alien species and to try to make it into something with like androids and stuff, which he's been obviously very fascinated with as well. Yeah. He, um, in doing so, I think he's starting to really uh, explore and showcase the, the it's it's like it's the it's like the the predator trailer you know it, which has gotten they've gotten better but I feel like you know you're showing off this brand new predator off, off of these expensive prosthetics and design and you're showing everything about it in the first ten seconds of a trailer but that's part of the beauty of a movie like that is that you want to show off the thing you know later on you want to leave build that anticipation that suspense and I feel like as you continue to go through and extrapolate exactly what these things are. It just removes some of the joy, the magic of wondering exactly. Yeah. You well, know. And also, that's why even if you're at all able to, avoiding promotional materials, yeah. avoiding trailers, avoiding all the marketing is the best. Like, think about this. Bet. Because the uh, director, the writer, nobody chooses what a tra- what's going to be in the trailer. It's all the studio. I'm going to say it's I'm the marketing. Say. It's the other half of the budget, which is made by, those decisions are entirely made by a wholly separate team. Like, think about this. Think about this. Um, Jason Voorhees. Jason Voorhees was, is a, you know, staple of slasher movies because he slowly pursues someone with a hockey mask on and he just kills. There's no real reason. There's no meaning behind it. And then later on, they decided to actually really, really extrapolate. Like, okay, where is this guy come from? What is he? What is it? What's the situation? So they show him as a kid. They show him in a pond or a pool or a lake and drowning, you know, having these crazy, you know, he was you know, supposedly he was disfigured, his face, and he was mocked and he was part of a, a victim of a cruel prank and, and died because of it. And so in doing so, we understand the backstory, but now they're making him empathetic. We feel empathetic towards him. We're starting to feel like, okay, maybe he's a killing machine because he was neglected and he had a crazy abusive you know, family and everything else like that too as well, which is like I said, this is an unnecessary explanation. Mm, yeah, for a type of character. For a type like, of a character that doesn't have the depth and nuance. It's interesting too. Needed. Initially, we were talking about the necessity to make villains that are at some point like th- that they're relatable in some way it depends um, i i also feel like it it really it it depends and it also just depends on like what is the nature of that of that character are they human are they an alien are they a monster are they something that we can't really like like jason Voorhees? 
human okay like that's a bit of a stretch there's like there's always been sort of a kind of a like a supernatural component then you compare this to freddy Freddy krueger which is he was i mean at least from freddy versus jason they showed him as someone who was uh i guess i don't know if he was convicted i don't know he like he like had a thing for children and then he ran to like a farmhouse and they threw like flames and fire and not flew flames like freaking like Dragon Ball or something, but I mean or Super <laughs> Street Fighter. But they they like they set the place on fire and he you know he burned you know alive. R.I.P. Basically, and so he came back and sort of as a, as a thing for like yeah people sleep and everything else. But it's like honestly that's kind of like I don't know like I feel like there's it has to fit the character like. Well, it has to be interesting. It has to be interesting. It, the interest. it is interesting, but I feel like if you're going to have someone be a victim of something, like I think, you know, him, uh, Jason Voorhees drowning or being picked on and stuff, that's, I get that, you know, but I feel like there's something, like that's, that's a good arc for someone who's an antihero. For someone like, and I guess, and there's some people who watch slashers, a lot of people watch slashers, it's, and they're it's rooting, Freudian, though. And, it's they're, very and they're rooting for Jason. They're rooting for Jason to kill because they watch, people watch those slasher movies for you know for watching the kills yeah they want to see all the deaths yeah the screen so it, i guess it maybe maybe it serves a purpose maybe they're like yeah maybe they're making that him more empathetic and that way a lot of these the audiences that can then watch it they're like yeah okay cool then he does these people really do need to die even though they're not really to blame for anything but they feel like the revenge is suited because of his childhood there's something to be said about flashbacks like that they're kind of a. Uh they're kind of a no-no in modern cinema. Like, don't don't resort to a flashback. You know, you should have everything that you need to tell your story without having to resort to like images of this character as a young as a young boy. Um, and if you do use them, they have to be incredibly like just well done and serve a purpose. But I also think that sometimes writers just get lazy. They try to they explain something that they already have the answers to well, reboots, instead of doing reboots, more interesting things. Reboots and kind of these these uh, origin stories like you know the origin stories became a huge thing like Chris Nolan um, Christopher Nolan was I mean very we call, we call him Chris let's call him Chris um, so uh, so Chris basically talks about <laughs> we just dropped the Nolan all together mm-hmm. you know he you know we had the idea of an origin story the gritty reboot I mean Batman Begins was responsible for the gritty reboot yeah and they have and he uses flashbacks in a nice way he does you know, um, and in a way, it helps for to make us draw a connection between Bruce Wayne and his and his dad, uh, especially to sh- Bruce show, Lee. It, to, yeah, Bruce Lee, just to show why this guy has gone insane yeah. and dresses up like a fucking bat and fights crime. Because otherwise, it would just be like, hey, here's Bruce Wayne, a crazy person, you yeah. know. Because um, you have to kind of ex- in in a world as grounded as Christopher Nolan's Dark Knight. Well, that's what's, fun, what's funny is that that's actually one of the things that he says. Uh, one of the remember there's the people who are like similar vigilantes in Dark Knight at the very beginning that are yeah. dressing up like Batman, and you know, um, <laughs> uh, so he stops one of the vans and you know saves one of the guys. You know, obviously there's the hockey. The ho- I'm not wearing hockey pants line that he uses. But he's arresting the scarecrow or scarecrow, and scarecrow turns, you know, and because I guess the one of the guys uh, who's you know sympathizes with Batman's, you know, fight and wants to work with him is like, oh, we, well, you need help, you know, we really need help, and Batman's like, I don't need help, and then the scarecrow's, I guess, like, 
no, that's not my diagnosis. Mm-hmm. Which is funny because it's like it is. It's it's alluded to by the fact that yes, like this dude, like you have to be a certain level of uh, Chick Nicholson crazy. You have to be crazy. Chick Nicholson. Yeah, you got to be totally crazy, Just off the wall <laughs> Chick Nicholson. Yeah. Christopher Walken with the shark teeth. You know what's funny? Stephen King would probably just think that you know what you put. Jack Nicholson in the Batman costume. I mean, he was crazy before he even put the costume on. Oh God, yeah, he was just just through and through. I would have seen. I would have seen a Jack Nicholson Batman. Yeah, as Batman, not as the Joker. That would be fascinating. And now we got Joaquin as the Joker. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he's a he's a phenomenal. Um, <laughs> he's a phenomenal villain in he's Gladiator. Such a heartthrob, isn't he? He's a phenomenal villain in in, in Gladiator, and uh, he's not going to dress. Not even. <laughs> <laughs> he has a way though. He has a very measured approach. I think it'd be fascinating. I'm I'm excited to see what happens. I'm yeah. also yeah. I'm cautiously optimistic. Um, and I'm just Todd Phillips, right? Todd, <laughs> yeah. Hangover. <laughs> I didn't hear. I didn't watch Hangover uh, Part Three. I mean, if if the, if the guy who can do Saw can then do Aquaman, can then do Fast and the Furious. If the guy who did, you know, yeah, it's like it's one. like it's just like you just don't know anymore. Yeah, you I never think, know. You know, it makes perfect sense, right? I mean, it's like hey, if you dig something, but you're super passionate about something else. Like, I mean, you know, also the age group. I feel like there's certain people who are in a specific age group who are like, oh, they grew up with Jurassic Park, or they grew up with this, this, and this. So mm-hmm. they, they, uh, they are. This would be a, a dream project, like with Blomkamp being his dreams crushed time and time again for Alien. And uh, whatever, it's like <laughs> yeah. making movies. It's got yeah. huge like special effects just, budgets. He's like, where? <laughs> Neil Blomkamp's like, but I thought I put out the concept art, and everybody would be like, go make it, Neely. It's like, fuck you, dude. Just By keep the making way, your shit. I did. Keep I d- making your chappies I, and lesiums. I, I, I he did, now he did mention that though. In yeah. other news, he did mention that chappie was frustrating for me to watch. I thought it was okay. I thought it was very beautiful, but also fuck that movie. I actually I, I like Chappie more than Elysium. I did well. A I did lot, too. A lot more. Elysium is more heavy-handed than Mother. Elysium, uh, uh, uh called an unequivocal failure. He said that that was one of his. He made like, it. I he know. He put hundred million dollars into yeah, that movie. Yeah, he's like, he's like, why I, would he say an unequivocal? Like, what a way to like. That's a way of like shooting yourself. Yeah. In both, <laughs> yeah. it's he, a failure. He I spent a year on this. He basically said that it's not at all what he wanted to make. Whatever, <laughs> whatever. He's like one of the very few directors and <laughs> work like working today who's able to make movies consistently that are big budget and not based off existing intellectual property. Yeah, like none of his movies. Well, he wanted. To, he was remember, remember Halo. That was the big rumor for a long time. Yeah, was Halo. Yeah, he was working on it when um, Microsoft had Microsoft Studios. Pretty incredible stuff, yeah. But I mean, if a guy is even half decent at sci-fi, like you know, like I said, the guy uh, who did uh, Day After not Day After Tomorrow, um, oh, Roland did, Emmerich, uh, Edge of uh, Edge of Tomorrow, Christopher McQuarrie, is it uh, Edge of uh, Tomorrow? Doug, Doug Lyman, is it Edge of Tomorrow? Edge of Tomorrow, yeah. Wait, did Doug Lyman or Christopher McQuarrie or Christopher McQuarrie wrote it? Doug Lyman directed it. Lyman, uh, I was going to say Scooby. Scooby. <laughs> uh, what Scooby is his name? <laughs> no, 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 no. Born. Born. Yes. Mm-hmm. Really? Mm-hmm. I didn't know that. That's, yeah. that's interesting. Isn't that great? And, and that's that's a sequel that's greenlit. That's happening. Jason, another Jason Bourne movie? No, as of tomorrow. Too. I was like, oh god, the little ping of indigestion. Live, die, repeat again. I know this. The Bourne movies. 
come on, guys. More like boring movies. <laughs> <laughs> they were okay. They were a phenomenon back in the day. I like, love those movies. The first, the first. Well, you love the Moby song at the end, but that's besides the point. And I, mm, I, I <laughs> don't shit on Moby, dude. Oh, it's on Moby. So great. What is it, Moby? It is Moby. Oh, it's Moby. <laughs> it's like it's Breed. like it's like an alarm going on. It's like the end, the end of uh, everyone's like, well, I guess it's time to leave. It's like the Lincoln Park the song, that, like Lincoln Park Day song <laughs> for Transformers. For Transformers, yeah. yeah. But uh, <laughs> yeah, Moby was like the, the 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 new hotness for a while. Well, apparently, according to the Born Identity series, it's still the new hotness. It's the forever hotness. But I mean, I'll never forget though, like when he was going outside that building, that snow. It's like that the snow. theme song for the Born Identity is a fucking Moby song. How yeah. weird is that? It's yeah. a hardcore, fast-paced, some of the best fight choreography I've well, ever seen. Okay, and I, they close every single movie yeah. with Moby. Oh, that was that was uh, Greengrass. to the west. That was Greengrass, right, Paul Greengrass? Maybe. I actually don't know. I think Doug Lyman. I did, Doug Lyman did one of them, but that's yeah. Neither here nor there. <laughs> he, um, but yeah, they talk about. I think now did Matt Damon did he do his own stunts? Yeah, I, th- I think I don't know why I said yeah. I actually don't know. I think, I he, think did. he did. Yeah, that was the big deal because he was outside of like a three-story building. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I mean, like you know what I mean. Like I don't even know. How, I don't even know how tall. <laughs> you have a stunt double, and he's on top of like a rooftop or something of like a, like a house or something. He, Matt Damon, is so courageous. He stood on top of a building. <laughs> no. No, I think he did. He jump from the one building to the other. I, I, I feel like I, I feel like any insurance company like would just look at it and be like, mm, no. I don't think so. I don't know. I don't know what, how what, what what Tom Cruise has in his contract to like what he does. Well, he's powered by Xenu. You know, he's just he's he's got Xanadu. This, Xanadu. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's powered by uh, by our 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 boy. Um, Who's that guy? He's he's 80, 83 degree or eighty three degrees, eighty three years old. Soon to be eighty three degrees. <laughs> <laughs> um, Sean Connery, Xanadu. Yes, isn't he in Xanadu? I I don't remember. Why did you make me think about Xanadu? I have no idea. Xanadu. Jesus. I, Sean Connery hates Hollywood. You know that? I think I told you about that. And just unrelated news, he hates Hollywood. Should someone tell him? It cracks me up though because he's. I guess he's never been to like the Oscars. I guess supposedly it was never. He was never there, or he went there once. But it's because he felt like the people were trying their best to like screw him over with the contract like because at a time where he was being offered like Lord of the Rings and stuff he accepted League of Extraordinary Gentlemen on his uh, I guess that was like the big thing was his final credit he's not dead <laughs> he's, but he's not working <laughs> yeah, he's not working no I mean this League of Extraordinary Gentlemen came out over 10 years ago that it, that it did yeah god yeah, that was I don't I don't just and I guess he was offered it with Morpheus and uh, all this stuff. It's crazy. Yeah, it's almost it's almost a Russell Crowe situation yeah. where Russell Crowe was also offered Morpheus. Sean Connery was offered. You know Gandalf. what? I feel like and again spur of the thought, you know just thought kind of thing. Kevin Hart needs to make 
some dramas. He needs to get into into. I was thinking, like, imagine like if that we found out later on that like Kevin Smith, Kevin Smith, Kevin Hart, <laughs> <laughs> if Kevin Hart got like the was like was supposedly the idea, like the person for Gladiator or something. Imagine if we found that out. Like it, that's 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 to me would be an appropriate thing. Wait, Kevin Hart was the what the person for Gladiator? What I mean, if he found that out though? Like that was like oh yeah, that he was like, off for that role. <laughs> yeah. Can like, you just imagine four foot seven of little yeah. Hercules jumping around? I'll kill you. Yeah. Um, there are some things that Kevin Hart can do, and I think a, a really convincing action film—you gotta get really creative with those camera angles. You do. Mm-hmm. Well, you have to do like a Bane thing, right? Cause, yeah. Well, because he, he walks up to storefronts and he's got to have other pe- taller people open doors for him. Well, jo- uh, he's no, two foot eleven. He's like a he's, yeah. Hmm. Yeah, he's he's about as tall as like two Xbox Ones stacked on top of each other. <laughs> it, um, but yeah, I you know it's it's going through. Like I said, there was a moment too like, where like there were actors like Will, Will Ferrell in Everything Must Go. Mm-hmm. Like I, I love that. I love yet again. I I love a love unpredictability. You know, trying to avoid being typecast. Also, Stranger Than Fiction. I think he was really good in that. That is. That was. That I was lo- a great. I loved him in that. And then uh, Willem Dafoe and never mind, never mind. <laughs> uh, Ryan Gosling, yep. Uh, and the other guys or the nice guys, the, the nice, nice guys, guys yeah. Um, also, uh, Mark Wahlberg and the other guys, yeah. Really great. I mean, he's he's wonderful. I also I thought they both shined so That's brightly. That's true. He really wasn't really known for comedy, was he? No, he still really isn't. I, just, I, I still think that De Niro was, and, uh, and um, uh, meet, meet the, the parents meet the parents yeah meet the fuckers didn't happen um, nah but there was something cool about um, I actually think Mary? Transformers was better when it was Shia I actually don't like Mark Wahlberg in that film series I would because I actually think Shia LaBeouf is is well, um, is is a really stellar actor um, Megan and Fox is a phenomenal actor as well. Megan, Fo- Megan Fox, <laughs> yes, she has range. She just has such a depth to her that mm-hmm. it's just like it's just like a pocket full of t- just these bag of tricks. Of of uh, she's true, very, very true. Very, she just she's has true, all kinds. Very true. Not just very true. It's just she's very true. She is April O'Neil. But I will. I actually never saw. I never did see the 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 that the the new T, uh, TMNT. Oh, well, you should you should watch it. Is it good? I've seen the first one. It was really good. That uh, John, I mean, it was John, it was a lot of fun. I said really good, but it's actually just a lot of fun. John, what's the director of that one? Uh, I don't. He know. did. Uh, he did the um, <laughs> uh, Battle L.A. Battle Los Angeles. Oh God! He also did. <laughs> don't, I don't. I know. I li- I like. Okay. I'll. I have a. There's a guilty pleasure. Don't say. Do not pull out like the Daniel Day Lewis level of method acting to say. Oh God. Okay. No, but I, LA, I like to. Okay. 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 Yep, but, um, there were good things. In everything it. I said in this podcast will be discredited because I said that I like Battle LA. No, it's. But great. I also like Texas Chainsaw Massacre: The New Beginning, which also then contradicts a lot of my points made earlier which is the fact that there was an origin story to, Le- to Leatherface and it wasn't really needed but I, you know, I, I thought it was enjoyable so yeah there you go back to I'm Battle a walking LA nice, nice job there but uh, <laughs> back to Battle LA yeah um, I, th- I thought the uh, the villain or the alien vehicle design was really creative I like the on the grounds the on very, the ground you know what it reminds me of the very kill zone esque very kill zone yeah. Especially with those, like the lift vehicles, yeah, like, the way those would uh, would fly around. 
That um, trailer got me hyped, though. That was, was a, great. That was such a great trailer. This is not the end. Oh, well, there's that There's that song. But then there's the Johan Johansson. Bum, bum, Yoha, yeah, bum. The, yeah the, the Sun's Gone Dim or whatever that song is. Yeah. It was Amazing. great. So freaking good. I actually, I love, I, I'm making fun and I'm making light. But you're right. Michelle- Bell LA's trailer is one of the best sci-fi trailers I've I've ever seen. I oh, love that trailer. It was a huge. In fact, they actually made it seem like it was like a big, like a phenomenon. Like it's like, oh, this is. I don't know. Is it part of? Is it based on something? Nothing. It's ba- No, it is based on a sto- fiction a fi- on the mind of the writer from the early. <laughs> yeah, you bastard. From the early nineteen um, sixties. 19- uh, no, there's there's a story about the Battle of Los Angeles. The Battle of the Babadook. No, there used to be spotlights. You're just trying to you're just trying to <laughs> subvert the fact that you brought up that you love Battle LA. I, um, I liked it. I didn't love it. I liked that. It. It's something that you adore. And it's you, cheesy you, B movie fun. You think about Battle A, uh, Battle LA. Well, I don't have night. posters of Cloverfield Paradox at work. Anyway, so there's, <laughs> but there's uh, there's a news story that came out back in like 1912, and you can see all these spotlights. They're all aiming up into the sky at an object that's hovering ab- above the Hollywood Hills. Yeah, they had artillery trained at it, and I believe they were firing at this object, and they were never able to find exactly what this object huh. was or where it went or where it or real, originated. So the real story around 1912. A real story, maybe not 1912, um, but Let like in the, in the teens though. It was in teens. Okay. Um, but I think that's why it's loose. Like, it's loosely based on that. Based Everything, off of a news, like a news snippet from a news early. Snippet. Okay. Yeah. Kind of like how they did, remember, like, the whole thing with the Mars rover or the moon rover? Is it Mars or moon that was kicked over or knocked over? They used that for Dark Side of the Moon. Dark Side of the Moon for Transformers. Remember that? That was like viral marketing. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it was smartly done, though. It was smart. It was. Um, but. Yeah, I I don't know. I it's campy. It's a campy B movie, uh, but if, with a crazy Hollywood budget and Michelle in military, Rodriguez in the military, like on the ground, found. No, no, no. You just you just made up a new genre of film. It's not just military horror. They call it, they call it military, military, military. Yeah, <laughs> but uh, I I gotta say that that's uh, Michelle Rodriguez. I just wanted to like, let let that settle in. Just military, military. Mm-hmm. Um, my new band name. <laughs> Michelle Rodriguez plays Michelle Rodriguez in that movie. She can and play no one else. She she, she it literally is that is your character. Yeah, I'm sure that she stepped off the set of ballet and hopped into a race car, and she lives her life a quarter mile at a time. Yeah, and then well, she was then driving over to her role as another pilot in mm-hmm. or not pilot as she was a pilot in, in Avatar. In Avatar, yeah. Huh. R.I.P. Aaron Eckhart. R.I.P. for that that guy's career. He's, yeah, he was Two Face and then No Face. No Face. Yeah, Two Face. No Face in space. Two Face. No place. He. I don't know. I um. I think he is interesting. I think. They, I don't think. I don't think they knew how to market him. I feel like he went for a little while for the Thank You for Smoking. And then oh, he, he's so good in that. I love he that did movie. Great, but it's like. I don't know. There's part of him that's like very like they wanted to go for the, the clean cut, handsome dude, you know, the charming, like the Hugh Grant thing, right? A little bit as far as just like the you know he has a kind of a th- thing to him, but I don't think he wanted to do that. No. And then and then unfortunately Nikolai, whatever the guy is from Game of Thrones, kind of came along and st- I think like stole 
<laughs> Aaron Heckert's like thunder. You know that? Yeah, I that guy. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I feel He's like swapping up all of his roles. <laughs> yeah, like all that. And th- that guy, by the by the way, also has a fascination with prison movies. He's made like six prison movies. Ooh, Nikola- the- Nikolai. Nikolai something. Whatever the something. hell his name is. Yeah. The King, the Hand. Yeah, the Lannister. So he. Um, yeah, he's been like in six prison movies in the past like three years. It's I don't know. He's, you know, he's it'll, doing his own thing. It'll be really ironic when one day something comes out. <laughs> yeah, because if something always comes out, and eventually, yeah. Oh man, Lannister but, did not pay his debts. No, he did not pay his debts. Mm-hmm. Now he's um, now he's living it raw, living it raw. And I, you know, I, but I, yeah, I, I, I think uh, with the just to go back to the central point that I was trying to make. Um, just to make sure that I don't contradict myself either but I feel like that's when it comes down to characters and rounded characters characters that are empathetic and emotional and having you know some semblance of relatability to them it's not a necessity yeah. I don't th- it, it can help elevate right, yeah. it can help a film it's good to it can clarify elevate, it can elevate a film or any media whether it be a game or a film or something to be something greater than it already is it can help it can only improve certain things mm-hmm. but it has to be safe and understandable within the context of the universe that it's being that's being you know created around it yeah if it's just if you're giving me a backstory to the guy who built well I was gonna say the guy who built R2D2 but that's that was Luke Skywalker wasn't it Anakin oh it was Anakin wait Anakin built C-3PO how do they meet? C-3PO and R2? Yeah. Were they born side by side? Am I just they, creating do this? They get, do, they do robots do they get born? I think it's like a Cialis commercial where they're both sitting in bathtubs and they have their hands <laughs> and they're holding hands side by side. You know, I'll, I'll say, I, I, I'll never forget me watching for the longest time, for some reason as a kid, I was watching Mystery Science Theater. What a weird thing though. Two bathtubs sitting side by side. It sounds romantic who has two bathtubs sitting side by side they outside? fill it up and they watch the sun set or rise if they saw the sun has to, has to rise it's Cialis Al that sun is rising that sun is rising well the sun set the mosquitoes come out and then you have to like empty the tub or do you not empty the tub I, I don't know mm-hmm. I'm not sure um, yeah also who decides which like who gets into whose tub I used to watch I used to watch <laughs> Mystery <laughs> Science Theater and there was that one robot I always thought that was C-3PO for some reason in my brain. Yeah, the gold one? The gold one. With the, with like the, the head <laughs> yeah, shield, the like Babylon the, 5 style yeah. like headdress thing? Yeah. I don't know why. And then there's kid. like the one that's just like the gumball machine robot. <laughs> I love that though. It is. It's so great. We should actually, we'll, we'll have to start doing commentaries. Yeah. You know, MST3K style. MS13-3K. I like MS that. MS13,000K. Um, but I... Yeah, I just want to make sure to clarify my stance on that too. Because I appreciate that because you does, are on the record here. Well, it just sounds like I'm the biggest hypocrite, you know, because I feel like there are certain movies that have very little characterization. They don't develop an emotional core to the to, to the villain, uh, and I'm okay with it sometimes. Yeah. But I feel like if the if the drama if it's a drama and they and they're, they can go there and it to make sense within the story and that contextually makes sense, I think it can be pretty powerful. I couldn't agree more. Yeah. guys. I hate to say it, but we have just reached the end of our reel. We're actually recording on a tape deck mm-hmm. right now in the heart. A tech deck or a tape deck? We're recording straight onto a, t- a miniature skateboard, also uh, known as a tech deck. Kids, ask your parents. Mm-hmm. And we'd love to have you guys follow us. We are all over the internet. 
You can follow us on Snapchat. Yeah. Hit us up on Farmers Only. There's yeah. There's actually kids. Uh, I was gonna call it kids graffiti, which is basically like sidewalk chalk. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can find our information and and your local neighborhood. That's right. We're all over the ground as kids, kids graffiti. Kids <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's true though. It is kids graffiti. I mean, in a, in a way, they're still vandalizing. And well, think about it, if if people draw on a sidewalk in California, ain't ain't no rain gonna wash that away. You know that that's you, gonna stay there forever. At the end of time. You know that sidewalk chalk is just a gateway drug to the real thing. <laughs> yeah. They're start, starting to like. You know, they start with a, si- a multicolor sidewalk chalk. They move on to the Krylon touch. <laughs> exactly. Uh, Happens every time. Touches my heart. <laughs> um, but appreciate you guys listening to this episode. Uh, we're going to be bringing you guys more content, talking about video games as, uh, as well, mm-hmm. and going more in-depth about individual films and directors and writers, yeah. talking about what's going on in the industry, certain trends. Uh, appreciate you guys listening. And please, please, Al, where can, we, where, where can people find us? Uh, online, Snapchat was probably one of the bigger ones. Yep. Um, Friendster, mm-hmm. um, uh, the Wii Code. We can Church. exchange Wii codes, you know, Church. for Nintendo Church. Yeah, mm-hmm. every time. I'm hearing people say Church a lot. Mm. Mm-hmm. Just so keep preaching to me. Al. Keep preach. <laughs> keep preach. Uh, you can follow us on Five Hundred Pixels. Be sure to to snag us on Classmates.com. Yeah, Classmates uh, is a big one. And the best place to find us is good old com. But thank you so much. I'm Mike Muncatchy. And I'm Alex Muncatchy. This has been MetaChop. And we're out. <laughs>